Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock for Season 1, Episode 12, Vaulting Ambition. I am your co-host, Ken, and joining me as always is Sabriel. Uh, um, Ken, I believe you mean Her Most Imperial Majesty, Mother of the Fatherland, Overlord of Vulcan, Dominus of Kronos, Regina, Andor, Emperor, Sabriel, Mastin, Augustus, Iamponis, Centarius. Or as I call her, Bree. <laughs> Hello, Bree. Hi, Ken. That was the best title I think I've ever heard in anything ever <laughs> in today's episode. It was quite lengthy, and apparently there is a breakdown by the author of this episode on Twitter about what all those names mean. Oh, I have to look for that. I did not see that. I'm going to say I think uh, reading this title actually took up most of the time on this short episode. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to last week where the first 14 minutes were the cold open. Yeah, and of this one, the first 14 minutes were half of the episode. But it was just so impressive that we've had episodes of Star Trek Discovery where there is no cold open, just last week on Star Trek, and then boom, the intro sequence. Last week, it went on for 14 minutes, and then all of a sudden, we have the title sequence. And I'm like, where have you been? <laughs> I forgot we didn't do that. So this week, we were talking about Vaulting Ambition, and the titles that Sabriel is referring to are the names of the Emperor, who at the end of last week's episode was revealed to be none other than Mirror Captain Georgiou. Yeah. Oh my god, that was such a big reveal. I loved it. And now this week, she is displaying herself in force. She has an iron grip on the Terran Empire, and people live in fear of her and her deadly commands. I absolutely adore her character so far. Maybe next week will be a different story. However, um, yeah, every scene that she was in, I felt like she just like took over this week. What is there to adore about somebody who is so malevolent? Well, I mean, I have always just loved Michelle Yao, uh, but... I've always just loved the actress herself, but then the having a very, I don't know, mean dictator uh, ruler has always been just something that's really cool to me. <laughs> it's like, she's just empowering. Like, hell yeah, let's do this. So she was in pretty much every scene with Michael Burnham this week. There were really three plots going on here. We had Burnham and Georgiou. We had Saru, Voke, and uh, I'm sorry, what's the other Klingon's name? Uh, uh, her, Lorel. Lorel. I was thinking Lita. Yes. No, that's DC's nine. And then we had also the third uh, plot with Stamets and Stamets. So we're going to talk about each of those. We're already talking about Burnham and Georgiou. We saw a lot of interaction between these two this week. And this is a very different Georgiou, as you indicated. She is sadistic. She is a sadist. She uh, cares almost nothing for anybody. She has a very complicated history with Burnham, though. And we found out the answer to my question last week. Mirror Sarek had never seen Burnham before, which means that he did not raise Mirror Burnham, unlike in the Prime Universe. So now I was wondering, who raised Burnham? And we found out this week, it was the Emperor herself. Yes, you used to call me, or it was not so long ago, you called me Mother. Yeah, what did you think about that? You specifically DM'd me with that line. You thought that was a big reveal or something. Oh, I thought it was just really cool because it answered your question. Yes. And then specifically, I messaged you saying, hey, uh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, Burnham referred to her as Philippa, and she said, what, it's not mom anymore? Or something mm -hmm. like that. And so 
I, I'm really confused, though, by their relationship because she, being Georgiou, sees Burnham as a daughter figure, and yet she is ready to execute her own daughter as well. I mean, you would think that even if she suspects Burnham of treason, that she would show some mercy for her own daughter, or maybe just the opposite, because it hits so close to home that somebody that she loved and trusted would stab her in the back, the vengeance must, must be that much swifter. Uh, we don't necessarily know the exact relationship, but it did sound like it was a very troubling relationship for most of it, because she said Burnham uh, was basically always fighting her as she was growing up. And, you know, also, what better way to set an example than to kill your daughter? But then again, hold on, most people had never seen the Emperor before. Remember, a couple episodes they mentioned that. So most people may not know that Burnham was her daughter. When they say that most people don't, have never seen the Emperor, I wonder if that's referring only to the Rebels, because that is whose Maybe. data Discovery was first going off when they arrived in the Mirror Universe, was the Rebel data. It's possible. It's been a few weeks. So to check that again. You're right, that if her knowledge is public, her identity is public within the Terran Empire, how could you keep that from the Rebels? I don't know. Yeah. And oh my gosh, that the palace itself... <laughs> I've never seen anything like that in Star Trek, except maybe that uh, Dreadnought or whatever class starship in Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah, this ship, uh, was, if you didn't catch it, it was basically used a star, or maybe it was, it, was, it was a star, not a singularity, kind of borrowing from some Romulan technology, whether that was actually the lore here in this universe, we don't know. And a big, big ship built around this tiny star, which is really cool. And then the top of the ship made it look like a palace anyway, even a palace in space. It was the ISS Sharon. That's what it was. I definitely saw the sun in the middle of the giant spaceship. I wasn't sure if it was a singularity, like you said, which powers the Romulan warbirds, or if it was an actual sun that the ship was built around, almost like a Dyson sphere. Yeah, and it, must, it almost seems like that's what they're going for there to me. Uh, let's see, I just did a quick look on Sharon since that's the name of the ship, wondering if maybe there's some kind of Star Trek reference. Uh, let's see. It was mentioned in TOS, the planet Sharon. A planet, not a ship? Yeah. It was called, uh, the name of the episode was Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Oh, right. That's a classic. That's the episode that addressed civil rights and racism back in the 60s. And so, I don't know if there is a ref or, you know, any kind of relation to, to this episode or not, because Sharon is also just a French name. If the ship is powered by a sun, I mean, the Romulan singularities are very small. They can be contained within the ship. A sun that is massive and resides outside the ship, how does it power the ship? Like, the ship can't go to warp with a whole sun in tow, can it? Why not? Space tech, uh, we, we, quick, we need to get the science in here. Quick, activate the science. And Does the sun generate enough energy to warp itself through space? I mean, maybe warp fields, or maybe we're asking too much, too many questions. No, and, no, that's the whole so yeah. point of this show, Sabriel, <laughs> is to ask the difficult questions that nobody else has the courage to do. <laughs> well, it works because, you see, the way it works is because it works. And so, if you think of it that way, it's just going to work. No, I don't buy it. <laughs> that's all, yeah. Maybe they, well, they don't know, they use warp drive, so I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think we have seen the extent of the palace's capabilities. I think that, similar to The Force Awakens, maybe it's some sort of a star killer base where they can channel the sun's energy into something much more powerful. How else would she be able to hold onto her throne except through a most incredible display of power? Actually, you have a very good point, because that's how Hoshi Sato became empress. That's right. She, she used the USS Defiant 
to basically take over the Earth because she had the most powerful starship in all of the Terran Empire, and she used it to basically say, surrender or I will annihilate you. Yeah. So, I mean, I actually have a good hypothesis there. I can't wait to see how this pans out. But actually, now you have me thinking that we were pondering previously if there was a lineage between uh, Emperor Sato and Emperor Georgiou. Now I'm wondering if there's a lineage between the USS Defiant and the palace, because when you infuse a culture with technology from 90 years in the future, certainly they're going to exploit it in whichever way they can. And so I think they must have more advanced technology than the Prime Universe does at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very possible they... St- stole tech from the Klingons and the Vulcans, who were more advanced than them. Uh, Vulcans are probably closer to, I don't want to say Discovery Arrow when the Enterprise or the, when they discovered uh, humanity here, or at least the warp drive. Uh, I'm sure they, they, they borrowed a lot from other cultures and races. Well, that's true, because in Enterprise, the Vulcans were holding the development of the human's warp drive back. Warp 5 was the fastest they could go. Yeah, I think the Vulcans were like 7 or 8 at that time. Right, and yet we saw that Mirror Zephram Cochran stole the Taplana Hoth, and so they must have gotten some pretty fast warp immediately. Yeah, and then all of a sudden the Defiant falls in their back door. Right, that's not too much longer. So, wow, they, wow, interesting. <laughs> because, that's right, because Enterprise, the TV show, was within Zephram Cochran's lifetime because he appeared on an episode of it as, well, it was more archival no, no, footage, no. but yeah. uh, Jonathan Archer had seen Zephram Cochran live, I think. Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> so there's a lot more that happened in the Georgiou Burnham plot. What do you want to talk about? Oh, let's see. There was a really cool scene with the uh, deadly fidget spinner. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, love Burnham. that you call it that. <laughs> Burnham uh, revealed, oh, oh, Burnham was about to be executed and all the council were around the emperor. And as a last-ditch effort to try to not be executed, Burnham's like, oh, hey, I've got this little thing that shows you I'm from uh, a different universe. And Georgiou's like, hold on, I'm going to science this real quick, and scans it, and then, oh my gosh, you're right, I'm going to kill everyone. <laughs> Let's watch, you just saw this existence. Because uh, the Terran Empire had been hiding the fact that the... Uh, I'm going to call it the Prime Universe exists because they don't want those ideals leaking back into the Mirror Universe. Ideals that she said they squashed out millennia ago. Yeah, she had to kill everybody because those files are only for captains and even then it's redacted. She left one person alive, though, and she simply said, can you keep a secret? Why did she not just kill everybody except Burnham? Yeah, that's a good question. But I guess she needed someone to clean up. If I, I don't know. Like, like Everyone's going to find out they're dead real quick. So I'm not sure... What uh, this guy is good for. (laughs) Maybe he's a bodyguard to her of some sort as well. I'm not sure. Or maybe he's just, uh, we just need a way to clean up these bodies. Like It did feel a little weird. Like Everyone's going to find out all these counselors are dead really soon. (laughs) And they could just blame Burnham. Oh, the traitor executed them. She had a hidden weapon or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I thought it was interesting how rapidly Georgiou identified where Burnham was from. Like, she basically said, this com badge is from the United Federation of Planets, and so are you. She had that name on the tip of her tongue, and yet, this is the first time anybody in the Mirror Universe, to our knowledge, has met somebody from the Prime Universe. To to date, all they've had were technology and data. Maybe she saw something in Burnham's eyes, or some of her answers beforehand. was like, yep, 
you're obviously something's up here. And then when she said, hi, I'm from the UFP, all of a sudden she's like, oh, yep, that explains a whole bunch. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily find it suspicious or unreasonable because this is probably one of the most closely guarded secrets in the Terran Empire. This is their rise to power, basically. The only thing that did surprise me was that Georgiou was not more surprised. I'm not surprised that she knew everything about the UFP, but just that she wasn't more surprised to actually meet somebody from there. But then again, she is such a stone-cold-hearted killer that I don't think anything would faze her. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I was surprised, though, that Burnham revealed herself as being from the Prime Universe, because this seems like something that you wouldn't want the Terran Empire to find out about. Yeah, because if they figure out how to get over there, maybe they'll start just ransacking the place. Right. And they kind of do in the future. But <laughs> I had completely forgotten that the crew of the Defiant didn't survive the transition from the Prime to the Mirror Universe, is that they were all completely killed, because uh, Georgiou said, even if you had all the information about the Defiant, it wouldn't help you. They went crazy and killed each other. And I'd forgotten that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd forgotten the detail of how. I just remember them all being dead. Right. And so uh, it never occurred to me over the last two weeks that this data that they were on the search for wouldn't have helped them anyway. Yeah, so I suspect they're probably going to just spore jump back uh, one last ditch effort. And yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. Do you think Georgiou can be trusted? She even said at one point, you trust your prime Georgiou, so there's no reason to suspect that I am not equally trustworthy. She's going to do something to try to get more out of the deal. Maybe trust-ish. But then, you know what, I think... uh, Burnham is going to be helping her save her life in a very, very <laughs> soon here. And we'll talk about that, but there was something else that was extremely sadistic about life on this palace that I know you wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So so even uh, getting onto the ship, uh, we start with a scene. Um, this is the beginning episode where Lorca and Burnham are in a shuttlecraft leaving the Shenzhou and heading to the Imperial Palace. And they have a little discussion, and she gives him an analgesic to help with pain suppression that he asked for. Well, actually, on the scene, he actually makes a comment to uh, Michael during this uh, moment that made me think, huh, they were kind of foreshadowing here. He says, your Georgia is dead. And I'm like, huh, yeah, I know what you're mean there now. But <laughs> anyway, uh, we, get to the, we get to the Sharon, and Burnham is all like, hey, Emperor, I caught him. Here he is. Here's your traitor. And... Georgiou's like, cool, thanks. Oh, here are three Kelpians here. Choose one. And she's like, you should know your Kelpians very well. And so Michael's like, uh, that one. And they escort him off. <laughs> A few moments later, we're at the dinner table. And they're talking, and Georgiou's like, here, have some of my ganglia. <laughs> and uh, the answer, it turns out, yeah, they were eating uh, Kelpian for dinner. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's also this great moment when she reveals that Michael already had her mouth full of food. She's like, oh, this is delicious soup. And then, oh, Kelpian is so good. And then all of a sudden, Michael Burnham's eyes are just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. When she was choosing a Kelpian, what did you think she was choosing it for? I had no idea. Other than maybe like a new slave or something. That's what I thought because we have precedent. We saw Saru as a slave on the ISS Discovery. Yeah. No, not sorry, the Shenzhou. Mm-hmm. But wow, I would have thought that if they were being served as dinner that they would have put up more of a fight i know that their race are raised to be servile and domesticated but i just never thought oh that god I, this was like something from the restaurant at the end of the universe except far far worse yeah i didn't even think of that tie, tie there where in the prime universe kelpians were the basically food 
Sorry, I said I didn't even think of that yeah. here. In the mirror universe, they are still food. Yeah. Like, this is what they were raised to be. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> That's hard stuff. Oh. But it was still an uh, interesting scene. I was just like, oh, my God, when I that happened. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrifying. As you can see by my, my excitement, I just realized I was looking at our recording like, I think I just talked for two minutes without a breath when I was describing that. <laughs> <laughs> breathe, say real, breathe. <laughs> So as long as we're on the Burnham Georgiou thread of this episode, do we want to talk about the big reveal at the end of the episode? You may as well. You can have this one since I've been uh, stealing. (laughs) Well, I'm a little disappointed at how predictable Discovery is becoming. There are some parts of it that I totally did not see coming. For example, throughout the arc we've seen, such as Voke killing Colbert, which you and I both jumped out of our seats and screamed. You know, neither of us saw that coming. But then the fact that in the end, the Lorca that we know is in fact not from the Prime Universe. He didn't travel over there with Burnham for the first time ever. He is from the Mirror Universe. He is Mirror Lorca. And so all the t- clues that we've been picking up along the season, how he didn't know anything about what Admiral Cornwell was talking about and how he faked it, how he may have had additional scars and tattoos that she'd never seen before, how he punched in random or mysterious coordinates for Stamets' last jump, how he's been very protective of Burnham, has been making sure that she is on the discovery and not in harm's way. All these clues add up. And it turns out that surprise, not really, he's from the Mirror Universe. <laughs> yeah, uh, when you said you were kind of not, you know, I mentioned I was excited after this episode, and you had said eh, equivalent. I was like, oh, but I, I understand your point. And you know what? There is a huge contingent of of fan base who do not follow and eat up and devour every single little thing. And for some reason, there are like a few people who don't listen to this show. And so what? <laughs> Uh, I, I know of a few people who the reveal was like, what? What is happening? Okay, now see, it was only because I listened to Transporter Lock that I had any idea that Ash Tyler was Vogue. If you had not told me, I never would have seen that coming. That would have been a big reveal. <laughs> but the fact that Lorca is from the Mirror Universe, I feel like that is something that the show has been hinting at almost since episode three. Actually, they have been. There was even a moment where he was looking at his reflection in that episode. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, you can even see that as a clue. And also, you know, Stamets looking in the mirror and his mirror himself walking away. If this is the first Star Trek you've ever seen, then I can see how that wouldn't be predictable. But since you and I have all that lore, we come into Discovery with 700 episodes of experience in the Star Trek universe, you know, we, we sort of expect this stuff. And so I was expecting more of a surprise. Now, it's still possible that Lorca is a good guy. After all, he was trying to kill Burnham. He was trying to take down the Emperor. He had this revolt that he was trying to lead. And we know that the Emperor is a bad guy. So the enemy of my enemy is my friend. But still, the fact that he is a mirror version of himself, that part was not a surprise. What, what do you think? Do you think he's going to end up being a good guy or a bad guy? However you want to define those black and white morals. Hmm. You know, I think they're going to go for a play where she has to, or Burnham has to either betray one of the two captains, basically, again. I think it's going to be the Emperor she's going to have to betray. 
Now that you gotta think of it. I th- or just thinking about it, because she's gonna have to betray Zhou Zhao again. I have to go with Lorca so she can get home. That would be really difficult for Burnham, and I can see how she would see that as a betrayal. But she owes no fealty to the Emperor. No, she doesn't. She mentions like earlier in the episode, like logic t- tells me this, and it's still basically hard for her. Yeah, it's still easy to be afraid of a ghost. At the very end of the episode, Burnham puts two and two together. She tells the Emperor, I've accidentally let a traitor onto your ship, and now they're probably going to rush down to find out what Lorca is doing. What do you think Lorca is trying to do? I think Lorca is here to finish his mission. He went the long way around. <laughs> well, that's another thing, is Burnham th- hypothesizes that Lorca brought her to the universe because it was the only way that he, Lorca, would be able to get onto the Emperor's palace ship. Really? Is that the only way? Because this seems like a lot of conjecture and a very far-fetched way to go about completing his mission. Maybe Lorca accidentally got to the Prime Universe, and this is how it happened. I think he must be in cahoots with Mirror Stamets, because... I was going to say, maybe Stamets accidentally sent him over. I don't think it's an accident, because the Emperor said in this episode that their Terran Empire does not have a warp spore displacement drive. But Mirror Lorca must have known when he went to the Prime Universe that there was some way to get back. And the only way he would know about the Spore Drive is if he knew it from Stamets. Yeah. And so I definitely think those two are collaborators. It just seems like there are a lot of ifs. Kind of like if you were to break down Captain America 3, like the villain's plot in that episode to drive the Avengers against each other. If you look at all the ifs, that had to happen yeah. for his plot to succeed. <laughs> like, there's no reason he should have ever been able to plan such a thing because there were too nope. many variables. And I, I accuse Lorca of the same sort of hope. It's very possible. You know what? They've been pretty good about answering some of these things before, so maybe we'll have an answer. Oh. Oh? Uh, there's something we kind of overlooked. Uh, Georgiou telling Burnham about Lorca. So Georgiou trusted Lorca, and he's the one who betrayed her because Georgiou was tr- raising Michael. And... Saying, like, in me you saw a mother, and in Lorca you saw the father, until you grew up, and it became more. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, ew. <laughs> Why do you have that reaction? Uh, he raised her as a little girl, and then all of a sudden he's, they're having a relationship. That's just gross. I mean, I don't know at what point in Burnham's life Lorca came along. We don't know either, but it's still, well, if, if it's, this, if it's uh, how the Emperor puts it, it's gross. <laughs> but not unheard of in this world, or in the universe. And also, I don't think the age difference is such that it should be disgusting. I, I mean, if you look at no, adult... No, that's not the problem. Like, if you look at adult Burnham and adult Lorca, the ages that they are now in this show, like, you would never look at them and say, oh, somebody's robbing the cradle. No, no, that's not the problem. It's the problem is that he helped raise her at some point as a child and then grew her into what she became and turned into more. Like, ew. I agree, and I don't mean to be defending him. I apologize if it did sound like that. (laughs) If he was grooming her to be his lover, that is utterly and thoroughly disgusting and inexcusable. (laughs) Well, All I'm saying is that we don't know how old Mira Burnham was when she started to see Lorca as a father figure. I would not be surprised if our prime Burnham sees Mira Lorca as a father figure, and they've only known each other for like six months. Uh, That's different. That's different. Right. So what I'm saying is that if it was at a similar point in Mira Burnham's life when Lorca came along, where they're both adults, and she started to see him as a father figure, I think that's more okay. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it also makes me wonder, what's going to happen with our Burnham and Mira Lorca? Like, if they survive this season, 
Are we going to see a love interest? Oh, God, I hope not. No, no we don't need that. We don't need that. <laughs> I mean, the only alternative I can think of is that Lorca does not survive this season, and Burnham somehow becomes captain of the Discovery. And then Sardo would be like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in this mirror universe, she's captain of the Shenzhou, so it's not um, unprecedented. I mean, I would think that had she not, quote-unquote, betrayed Prime Georgiou, she was probably next in line to be captain of the Shenzhou. It's possible. It's possible. And also, Star Trek has always followed captains, if not been ensemble shows. So <laughs> it seems True. odd that Burnham... I, I would I could see it being a reasonable twist that the show starts its first season focusing on the first officer and the second season she's the captain. Yeah, I could see that turn. I can see that. Of course, if the person who excused her from her treason in order to serve on the Discovery was in fact himself a doppelganger, does that mean she's going to get thrown back in prison? <laughs> I think she'll maybe come back and save the Federation somehow or who knows. They'll, she'll get out of it so she'll be able to be on the show more. Save the Federation from the Klingons, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Or maybe a destruction of the mycelial network. But that's uh, jumping ahead a bit. Well, I think we're ready to move on to that plot, are you? Uh, there's one thing I wrote in my notes that I got a kick out of. Okay, so Lorca was in the agonizer booths in Cell C, the good ones. Uh, <laughs> and um, well, he had gotten this analgesic to help reduce the pain in the beginning of the episode. And uh, while the guards are sitting here torturing him, you could see worry on their faces of some kind like they have a clear expression of nervousness or worry and all of a sudden the captain comes in and says he's going to take over they both have this relieved look on their face and they get the heck out of the dodge and then the captain comes in and starts torturing him and we get actually this really grotesque scene uh, just after that but i got a kick out of the we knew something was up when the guards were like oh god this is not working this is not doing what it's supposed to do that's my viewing on the second watch. Nothing, nothing, there's nothing, I don't think, any insights into something deeper. It was just the, their look of worry and concern, kind of like, yeah. <laughs> I think they should have instead been suspicious to how he was surviving. And also, you would think that somebody would have devised this anti-pain measure before, since these agonizer booths have been around since the Enterprise era, since Dr. Phlox invented them. You would think so, huh? They're like, oh, Lorca, he must be on that analgesic that we all know about. Let's just turn it up to 11. <laughs> These agonizer booths go up to 11. Oh, then they had that really grotesque, one of the grotesque, most grotesque scenes we've seen in Star Trek. Actually, not anymore since Discovery came out, but before that Discovery came out. Remember the episode Conspiracy, we saw somebody's head explode. Yeah, that was like 80s. <laughs> <laughs> it was still disgusting. Uh, disgusting, but not grotesque. Oh, okay. Back the, grotesque for the time period, but... A fine distinction. I accept it. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about that mycelial network with the Stamitzes. Yeah. So last week, we saw Muir Stamets very briefly show up in Prime Stamets's some sort of a mycelial dream landscape or whatever. And this week, they had quite the extended conversation. Oh, my God, I loved Muir Stamets's introduction where Samus said, are you God? And Or like, no, Samus said, is there a God? Mira Samus said, you've been wrong about so many things. There is a God, and she's very angry with you. <laughs> and he holds it. He has this serious look. And our Samus is like, oh, God. <laughs> and it was just so nice to see that Mira Stamets has a sense of humor. Yep. Uh, Mira Stamets is a jerk. Oh, he even makes a comment. Like, it's good to see him a jerk in every universe. <laughs> 
this was a weird environment that they met in. It wasn't just the mycelial forest or network. It was some sort of a mirage based on discovery. Like they were in the engineering lab. They were able to pull up data and do research. Actually, actually, you're very close. They were on the uh, USS Stamets. The USS Stamets? (laughs) In one of the background clinks, you can see the dedication plaque and it says something like ISS or USS Stamets. That's ridiculous. <laughs> because the layout was that of the Discovery. I mean, a lot of Federation ships look alike from the inside. <laughs> Speaking of being in engineering, though, pulling up all that data, our Stamets said the coordinates for their last jump wasn't there. Yeah, it was missing. So I think we can agree that Lorca purposely jumped them to the mirror universe. This was no accident. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Very much intentional. But I wonder why our Stamets needs that last jump, because they know where they ended up. They landed in the Mirror Universe. What more matters? Maybe it has something to do with how it broke and he wasn't able to record it, because, you know, all this was in his mind. So he, it was all in his mind, so he didn't actually maybe get the coordinates saved in his head, you know, before they left. Hmm. Or somehow, apparently, he was very much aware of what was going on and where they were going to be. Yeah, and it turns out Mirror Stamets has been trapped in this network for even longer than our Stamets has. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. He was doing some of his own research without necessarily developing a spore displacement drive for the, their discovery. And it turns out whatever he was doing was uh, corrupting things. Yeah, the the network is turning against them somehow. Evil Stamets says, or excuse me, Mirror Universe Stamets, uh, says everything. eventually everything everywhere will be destroyed. And so this mycelia network is connected to the universe in a way that could destroy it. Since it's being corrupted. When I heard that, I heard that as a possible interpretation, that everything might be destroyed. Like, the entire universe is at stake here? Yeah, that's how I took it, too. So I think maybe this is going to be our answer to why the spore drive does not exist in the future. Maybe the universe will not be destroyed. Maybe. We'll find out. But uh, maybe to a point where the mycelial network is not usable for travel. Now, see, I hadn't thought of that. I had thought about what happens if Discovery doesn't make it home, what happens if their research is lost. The Federation still knows that this research existed and worked and they could recreate it. But if the mycelial network itself is somehow destroyed independently of the universe in which it resides, then that would preclude the possibility of recreating the warp drive. Yeah. And that would explain why we didn't hear about it on TOS, TNG, and especially on Voyager, where it could have been really handy. (laughs) That's for dang sure. Huh. Uh, This whole Stamets uh, hanging out in Mushroom Land, uh, the Mushroom Forest, um, also got, it was a baby because we got to have a uh, goodbye between him and Culber. So the mycelial network is where you go when you die? I don't know that. I think, I think uh, it was Stamets' mind helping him walk through. Because, you know, he did see Culber die. And I think it was just him helping himself cope through the loss of Culber and through, you know, a Mushroom Land. Uh, the Mushroom Kingdom here. <laughs> but I feel like the Dream Culber told Stamets things that Stamets didn't know. Maybe, but maybe, you know, he's also connected and he might know them, but not have them at the ready kind of thing, you know? But last week, you also pointed out to me that mushrooms or spores or whatever are the only organism to to bridge the gulf between life and death. So maybe that applies to Culber as well? Maybe, but then, you know, I don't know. It's possible, but... Yeah. It was weird. I, it's not clear to me if that actually was Colbert or not. But, yeah, I don't know. 
Oh, everything. If you watch, uh, you'll see everybody in uh, Mushroom Kingdom has black eyes. Something I brought up in the past episodes where so-and-so has black eyes instead of colored eyes. Whenever they have something to do with the Mushroom Kingdom, uh, their eyes like, are all uh, the pupil, not the oh. colored part. Oh, you mean when they're in the network? Yeah, network or talking about it. Uh, I, mentioned, I mentioned before where Stamets' eyes are purely black. Except when they're purely white. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... I mean, I mentioned it before, where it happens, where once in a while a seal will come up and his eyes will go purely black. And that's our cue that something has to do with the network. Just like the white eyes. Huh. So you're saying everything here is black or white? I'm not saying that at all, but it, it does. <laughs> <laughs> not everything is so simple, Sabriel. It's not always prime <laughs> or mirror, this or that. <laughs> I don't know if it has any kind of meaning uh, other than uh, either a nice little touch or maybe it will have some kind of deeper meaning. Yeah, there are a lot of more questions here. We don't have answers to them yet. I don't know that I have much more to say about the Stamets plot. Do you? Other than I'm really happy that he got to say goodbye to Culver. It's a trope in TV where queer characters are killed off. That hit a lot of people really hard when Culver just died all of a sudden. And so, was, and then you know, we also didn't get uh, was the closure for Stamets, and I'm happy that we finally got it. You know, in that interview with Jonathan Frakes, he said that we had not seen the end of Culber. Do you think now we have? It seems like it, unless there's some kind of flashback. But yeah, it seems like it. Unless, except for maybe there's a mirror Culber out there. Right. Who's going to be eviling things up with an evil twist. The way the camera worked, they seemed to be implying that it was a twist that Mirror Stamets was on the palace ship. But that was not a surprise to me. Should it be? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel surprised by that either. I mean, I guess the only surprise to me is the fact that Mirror Stamets is not in the Prime Universe. I just would have assumed he was on the ISS Discovery and that they swap places. But it turns out we have two Stamets in the Mirror Universe now. Yeah, so it's one lucky universe, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's inevitable that they will come face to face. Although I did like the explanation for why our Stamets have been seen Tilly as a captain, or seen things in the mirror, or this or that. It was because Mira Stamets was already in the network and was trying to reach out to his counterpart and send signals. Yeah, so we, every time we saw a little snippet here and there, there it was. And so I kind of got a little answer. I can't wait to go back and watch all these episodes with the knowing all this now. Yeah, I thought that one simple explanation was reasonable and tied up a lot of threads from throughout the episodes, uh, from throughout the season. Absolutely. Well then, shall we move on to the third and final plot, that being Saru, Voke, and Lita? Laurel, whatever? <laughs> yeah, so this one, uh, I think it was kind of like the shortest of the three, and honestly, I kind of felt it was the least interesting <laughs> of the three, even though it was like conf confirming everything that we've known so far. Yeah, this is a subplot that has been building up for many episodes, and yet, you're right, it seems... Like they're almost burying the lead now. Beginning the, or close to the beginning of the episode, Tilly and Saru are talking over comatose, comatose Stamets, and Saru's like, fix him, Tilly. Instead of, you know, heal him, fix him. <laughs> and I was like, that was cool for an engineer. And then he's like, we got a medical emergency in the medical place. So we come up here, get some medical stuff. And to get there, Invoke is all like, rawr, 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 I'm Klingon, rawr. And he's, he's uh, being uh, what's restrained. So I was like, oh my god, what's going to happen? And so he goes talks to Laurel in prison, or in the cells, and he's like, you gotta fix him. Oh, we didn't tell you we're in a meaner universe, so the whole Klingon war is irrelevant? Sorry. And she's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I 
hope you like my recap. <laughs> well, I mean, it is a pretty outlandish theory that he's proposing. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. oh by you... the way, we're not in your universe anymore. And also, yeah, he did you... lie when he... He kind of stretched the truth when he said, the Klingons here lost the war. He, oh, he's yeah, implying totally. that it's the same war that they were fighting in the Prime Universe, which is not... Yeah, he was. And then, uh, oh, but there's a scene where where uh, he's like, you better fix him up. Like, what'd you do? You better fix him. And she's like, he gave everything. This is war. I'm not going to do that. Like, okay. <laughs> and so a little bit later, Sider comes back. He shows pictures of uh, Ash beating himself up, scratching him all over himself. And she's like, I'm not going to help. He's like, okay. So they just beam him into the cell. <laughs> she's like, here you go. <laughs> and she's like, okay, I will help. And so she helps. Like, I don't know. I, I this whole stuff just felt like it needed more time or more build up because it was just very much like eh, this doesn't feel as well. This fleshed out very well. I thought that was pretty badass of Saru. I didn't think oh, he yeah. had it in him. Badass, yes. Still, just didn't feel like had the gut punch of an episode, or you know, like the rest of the episode did. I can see that. And also, well, what I found disappointing was. I was a little confused at first when Voke said to Saru in English, please help me. I wasn't sure if he was trying to trick Saru, if that was Voke speaking, or if it was actually some form of Ash Tyler speaking. And I suppose we're not supposed to know. I think, okay, okay, okay. So I did a kind of poor job in writing recap here, but basically, uh, Voke is in two minds. Voke and Ash are sharing the same mind. Um, it's revealed here that, by Rell, that there was an Ash Tyler. He was captured uh, during the Battle of the Binary Stars. They took him and basically shoved a Voke into his body by uh, taking some parts of Voke and shoving him into this body of Ash Tyler, um, harvested his DNA, reconstructed his consciousness, and rebuilt his memory. Basically grafted Voke into Tyler's body. Wait, wait, wait. I thought it was the other way around, because how else do you explain all that bone-crushing surgery that Hugh Colbert noticed? Uh, maybe either way. Honestly, I don't think it matters other than they're sharing the same body now and sharing the same mind and this is a hard part for laurel because she basically sort of was like hey you, you gotta figure this out you did this to him you gotta fix this and she's like no i'm not going to and he's like fine and then she's like fine i will and <laughs> so they bring her to the medical bay and she's doing this uh sciencey stuff on his head and talking about Kalis, and he kind of goes, he's not dead, he just kind of goes limp from this thing, and she starts doing, uh, I think what happened here is she killed Vogoff, because she starts doing the Klingon death yell. That was my interpretation as well. We've seen Klingons scream when they lose one of their own, but I have to wonder why she would even bother doing that. I mean, she basically had these two personalities, and she killed the Klingon. Why? I think because... Maybe in Ash's body, it's not the same person. You know, like maybe to her, it's never going to be the same. I, and that's kind of a guess. I really don't know. I don't think we'd know enough yet. This was a very dishonorable death for Voke. Maybe she was like, you know what? This isn't so bad. <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of unanswered questions here because we didn't get any kind of follow-up to that scene. It was, rah, lightning, lightning, lightning on his head, Klingon death yell, and then cut. We don't know what the result of the surgery was, but it seems to me, I agree with you, that she killed the Voke personality, and there's no reason for her to have done that. I would not think that she would succumb to Saru's threats if that was the only option before her. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. The other reason why we're pretty sure uh, dead was, well, she's doing the sciencey stuff on his head. Uh, she'd have a montage of all her memories with him. Uh, and then in the Klingon death yell happens. So to me, it's pretty clear that Voke is gone. She brought Ash Tyler back. Why? I don't know. Right. She has no incentive to save Ash Tyler. Maybe she does, and we don't know. Or maybe you know, it's maybe Voke is never going to be gone. I, I, but just maybe not completely in control anymore. Maybe she just resuppressed him. Oh no! Then why should she be? Why would she be so mad then? Or you know, the Klingon death yell. I have no idea. It's yeah. very confusing. I feel like that whole plot, it had a big surprise for those who don't listen to Transporter Lock, and now it's not paying off. Yeah, maybe we just got to wait for the payoff. Maybe this episode could have done with having like 45 minutes instead of 37. I mean, it, the whole Vogue thing just felt like we needed a tiny bit more, and you didn't give it to us. And just like this, bye everyone. No. Uh, ha ha ha. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know where they're going with this. And, you know, one thing that I think we may have overlooked, obviously Burnham feels betrayed because the man that she loved turned out to be a Klingon. Uh-huh. I forgot to put that in the context of the secret that she shared with Stamets in the Groundhog Day episode, which was that she's never been in love before. This is her first love. And look how terribly it turned out. <laughs> yeah, enough to never go back to anyone ever again. <laughs> I mean, the guy who does the webcomic, Least I Could Do, he wrote a brief review of Star Trek, and he said, when he first started watching it, it seemed more like Battlestar Galactica, which there's nothing wrong with, but it's not Star Trek, and so it didn't really grip him. He kept watching it, though, and he felt like the first nine episodes, which was the first half season, could basically be described as, here's why this week's character is emotionally damaged. <laughs> and he was ready to blow it off, but then he watched season one, episode 10, the first of this second half season, and oh my god, he was just blown away, and he is absolutely hooked. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And I can totally see that, because the first two episodes of this month, January 2018, have been phenomenal. And then this week's episode, I felt like, oh, they're losing momentum. Yeah, it did feel, I mean, like I said, I was still excited about it, but I do feel it was weaker. I don't want to say bad by any means, just weaker. I have such high standards for Star Trek that for Star Trek to actually be bad, it has to be really bad, like Shades of Grey bad, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. or Threshold bad. You know, there aren't many episodes like that. So you're right. I would not call any episode of Discovery bad, but there are definitely better and worse ones. Yeah, I think that's what happened here. At least, at least, you know, it, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly the Volk reveal, and like basically, it's something we all knew, and like, well, this is how I did it, and. Yeah, we just needed a bit more there. Sorry. Yeah. You had you had an extra 20 minutes we would have watched. Yeah, I don't know how they could have planned this over such such a long period of time, over so many episodes, and then have it fizzle out like this. There must be something more coming that we're not seeing yet. There absolutely has to be. We only have three episodes left. Is that right? Oh my gosh, is that all? Something like that. Let me check. So the episode that we're talking about this week, Vaulting Ambition, aired on January 21st. And then we have the 28th, the 4th of February, the 11th. And that's it. Three more episodes. Oh, my goodness. I feel terrible about that because, like, I know that every moment is precious and our time on this planet is finite. But when I wake up Sunday morning, I just want it to be 8.30 p.m. <laughs> like, I just want to throw that whole day away and just get to the good part. First person who ever wished a Sunday was faster. I know, and I, it's not a healthy thing because Sundays are wonderful. 
but the best part of it is the last part, which I guess is good because if the whole if the best part was the beginning, then that just means that the day just keeps getting worse as it goes. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, so three more episodes. We've had some theories, some predictions about where it's going. Is there anything we want to add to this week's transporter lock? Uh no. No, I mean <laughs> we're gonna end it on a Yep, that happened. And then <laughs> just like they did. They did. Well, you know, even for being a weaker episode, we still had about fifty minutes of material to talk about. That's true. And you know what? No one prepares Kelpian like the Imperial Chef. Oh, delicious. <laughs> Could have used a bit more basil, though. Maybe some oregano. <laughs> I wonder if they have those in the Mirror Universe. What if it's like Mirror Oregano? Oh, it's evil basil. I know. <laughs> it's basil <laughs> with a goatee. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, that is the end of this week's Transporter Lock. You can, of course, find all the episodes at transporterlock.com, as well as a link to check out CBS All Access, so that you can sign up to watch Star Trek Discovery, which we hope you're already doing if you're listening to this here podcast. You can also send us email, sign up for our weekly email newsletter to get a notice every time a new episode comes out. You can tweet at us at transporterlock or at our own individual handles, which are Game Bits for me and Sabriality for Sabriel. Oh. I'm sorry, for Emperor Sabriel. Yeah, you know, I think I'm changing my Twitter handle to at Her Most Imperial Majesty, Mother of the Fatherland, Overlord of Vulcan, Dominus Akronos, and all that. I'm uh, thinking about that, but maybe it's a bit too long. You know, they doubled the number of characters in the tweet, but the handles <laughs> are still limited to 15 characters. Oh, sorry. gosh, they're keeping me down. we'll find a way around it you'll just have to overthrow twitter yeah let's do it all right until then i'm ken i'm sabriel talk to you next week if you've enjoyed this episode please leave a review on itunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on twitter at transporter lock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com